Hi, my name is Dr. Tim Bilkey. I'm an adult psychiatrist. I'm a co-author of a self-help book on adult ADHD called Fast Minds, and we're on Rebellion Dogs Radio. Attention Deficit Disorder, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. What if you have these traits as well as addiction? Dr. Tim Bilkey and guitarist Paul Nelson are both guests on this show to help look at comorbidity or dual diagnosis or double winner syndrome if you prefer. Welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a free thinker's look at 12-step life, now with less dogma and more bite. This is episode 8. A transcript of this show can be found at rebelliondogspublishing.com. Now, chapter 5 of Alcoholics Anonymous describes those who are going to struggle with the AA modality. In the 1939 language, AA writes, There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Two of what we once called emotional and mental disorders that are so common among addicts are obsessive-compulsive disorder and attention-deficit hyperactivity disorder. To help tell these stories, I have with me as guests on our show a psychiatrist and a professional guitar player. Dr. Tim Bilkey specializes in adult ADHD. He has two videos, ADHD Across the Lifespan and Her Fast Mind, an in-depth look at ADHD as it affects women. Fast Minds is an acronym that Tim Bilkey has developed to help test for ADHD. This 2013 co-authored book, Fast Minds, How to Thrive If You Have ADHD or Think You Do, is published by Harvard Health Publications. My other guest is guitarist Paul Nelson. Paul became a guitarist for the Johnny Winter Band. And at one point when he was playing with his childhood idol, Johnny asked Paul to take over managing him in the band. Just after Johnny Winter's 70th birthday, Johnny Winter died while on a European tour. Before his death, a documentary was very fortunately completed. Johnny Winter, Down and Dirty, directed by Greg Oliver, this movie debuted at South by Southwest in March of 2014. And it includes Brother Edgar Winter, Aerosmith Joe Perry, ZZ Top's Billy Gibson footage with B.B. King, Janis Joplin, Paul Nelson, our guest is executive producer on the project. He appears prominently in the uh, documentary, and we hear from plenty of fans from North America, Asia, and Europe. So having these guests makes me feel like our show is reaching new heights. The interviews are very guerrilla style, very rock and roll. We talked to Paul Nelson in the limo from Toronto International Airport to the Canadian debut of Johnny Winter Down and Dirty as part of the Toronto Real Independent Film Festival. Dr. Tim Bilkey addressed the Bellwood Health Services Many Faces of Addiction, their sixth annual addiction symposium in October of 2014. Did Rebellion Dogs talk to Dr. Bilkey at the Ontario Science Centre where the event took place? Or a hospital or clinical setting? No. But Dr. Tim Bilkey was good enough to make time for us as guests were arriving to a private party he was hosting. Our interview was in the basement kitchen of Boland's Open Kitchen on Mount Pleasant Road in Toronto. 
So you'll hear highway traffic in one interview and kitchen staff and the white noise of industrial fridges and other commercial kitchen equipment in the other. So we'll give you the feeling of being in the field with us. And you are in the field with us. We wouldn't be doing Rebellion Dogs Radio without you. Here's what the acronym FAST MIND stands for. See if you identify. F. Forgetful. A. Achieving below potential. S. Stuck in a rut. T. Time challenged. M. Motivationally challenged. I. Impulsive. N. Novelty-seeking, D. Distractible, S. Scattered. In the book, with the same name as the acronym, Dr. Bilkey describes those of us with ADHD as having learning differences, not learning disabilities. Dealing with ADHD is a threefold approach, accommodation, medication, and mindfulness. In Bilkey's presentation to the many faces of addiction delegates, he was frank in his disclosure of his closeness with Big Pharma. Among his many speaking commitments, Dr. Bilkey is a spokesperson and consultant for some of the manufacturers of ADHD drugs. We'll talk about special considerations with medications when it comes to addicts. If you're only vaguely familiar with obsessive-compulsive disorder, anyone with addiction would relate somewhat to being preoccupied and obsessed with our drug of choice. You might wonder why so many who claim to have had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps are dying of the preventable maladies that result from smoking. Just saying no to smoking isn't as much a simple act of willpower for some of us as it is for others. OCD and ADHD can explain some of this. From dualdiagnosis.org, we read this about addiction and obsessive-compulsive disorder. OCD is an anxiety disorder in which an individual experiences recurring thoughts that cause irrational fear and anxiety. Individuals with OCD engage in repeated compulsive rituals such as counting items, hand washing, and organizing. Executing these rituals provides temporary relief while they are being performed, but the anxiety returns soon after the activity stops. OCD is a highly destructive disorder that can overtake the life of an individual and keep him from enjoying many of life's most rewarding activities. The Journal of Anxiety Disorders estimates that over 25% of those who seek treatment for OCD also meet the criteria for substance use disorder. Individuals who experience OCD symptoms for the first time in childhood or adolescence are more likely to develop a drug or alcohol problem often as a way to cope with the overwhelming anxiety and fear. Treating an addictive disorder without addressing the emotional symptoms of OCD is unlikely to be effective. Now you'll hear when we talk with uh, Paul Nelson about the origins of Johnny Winter's OCD. Was his addiction a coping technique for suppressing OCD? Paul Nelson will certainly report that Johnny Winter's OCD was more pronounced once he was weaned off the methadone. Other than hearing about ADD or ADHD in meetings and magazine articles, my first real scientific look at this condition was from Gabor Maté's book, Scattered Minds. 
He was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder by the medical health practitioner who was working with his affected children. Unlike many clinical books, and more like what we are used to in meetings, Maté shares his own case history in his 1999 book. Maté writes, Whether they know it or not, a large number of people addicted to behaviors and substances of various sorts have attention deficit disorder, no matter what their proclivity may be for gambling, compulsive sexual roving, chronic impulsive buying, workaholism, excessive physical training, danger-seeking pursuits like drag racing, or for nicotine or cocaine, alcohol or marijuana. As an example, according to some surveys, the rate of smoking among the ADD population is three times that of the non-ADD population. It's easy to understand the appeal addictive substances would have for the ADD brain. Nicotine, for one, makes people more alert and improves mental efficiency. It also elevates mood by stimulating the release in the brain of neurochemicals dopamine important in feeling, reward, and motivation, and endorphins, the brain's natural opioids, which induce feelings of pleasure. The endorphins, being related in chemical structure to morphine, also serve as analgesics, soothing both physical and emotional pain. Early in the book, Maté gets very personal with us. Never at rest, the mind of the ADD adult flits about like some deranged bird that can light here and there for a while but perches nowhere long enough to make a home. The British psychiatrist R.D. Lang wrote somewhere that there are three things human beings are afraid of. Death, other people, and their own minds. Terrified of my mind, I've always dreaded spending a moment alone with it. There always has to be a book in my pocket as an emergency kit in case we ever get trapped waiting anywhere, even for a moment, be it a bank lineup or a supermarket checkout counter. I was forever throwing my mind scraps to feed on, as if to a ferocious and malevolent beast that would devour me the moment it was not chewing on something else. All my life, I had known no other way to be. The shock of self-recognition many adults experience on learning about ADD is both exhilarating and painful. It gives coherence for the first time to humiliations and failures, to plans unfulfilled and promises unkept, or gusts of manic enthusiasm that consume themselves in their own mad dance, leaving emotional debris in their wake. To the seemingly limitless disorganization of activities of brain, car, desk, and room. ADD seems to explain many of my behavior patterns, thought processes, childish emotional reactions, my workaholism, and other addictive tendencies, the sudden eruption of bad temper and complete irrationality, the conflicts in my marriage and my Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde way of relating to my children. The driven and hyper-functioning workaholic tries to delude himself that he must be very important since so many people want him. His frenetic activity numbs him to emotional pain and keeps his sense of inadequacy out of sight, out of mind. During a group psychotherapy session a few years ago, I heard one of the leaders say that a truly important person is one who considers himself worthy enough to grant himself at least one hour each day that he can call his own. 
I had to laugh. I realized I had worked so hard to make myself so important that I couldn't beg, borrow, or steal a moment to myself. There is one major respect in which the specific neurophysiological impairments of ADD do hinder the development of a core sense of self and the attainment of self-esteem. It's appropriate here to speak of a sense of self, because from a neurophysiological point of view, the self simply does not exist. There is no neurobiological self-circuit in the brain, no little gnome pulling all the levers. What we see as the self is really a construct, akin to the optical illusion that makes us believe that a series of photographic images projected upon a screen in rapid progression are people and objects in the real world. The self we experience is an unimaginably rapid series of countless neurological circuits. At each moment the state of self is constructed from the ground up, writes Antonio de Mazio. It is an evanescent reference state, so continuously and consistently reconstructed that the owner never knows it is being remade unless something goes wrong with the remaking. It is relative consistency of the repetitious neurological activities of the brain that convince us that there is a solid self. We might say that in ADHD, the consistency lacks consistency. The functions are greater and more rapid than most people's experience. It seems there is less to hold on to. Self-esteem does require a degree of self-regulation, which the neurophysiology of ADD sabotages. The child or adult easily flung into extremes of emotion and behavior does not acquire the mastery over impulse that self-esteem demands. So that's Gabor Maté. What I really like about this passage is that some of us totally scientific reductionist geeks have little tolerance for giving time to anything we can't see in a microscope or explain with mathematical equations. He frames the talk of self nicely while addressing the subject of him being a man of science, but not dismissing the philosophical point of view that ought not to be ignored in describing the human condition. So on deck is my talk with guitarist and executive producer Paul Nelson. First, Join me. We'll go downstairs at Boland's Open Kitchen for our interview with Dr. Tim Bilkey, psychiatrist, ADHD specialist, and author of Fast Minds. Uh, thanks for being with me, Tim. This is a subject that I've always wondered about, and reading your book answered some of my suspicions and then shed light on uh, biases I had that were wrong. So it was very helpful. So right. thanks for writing the book in the oh, first place. Great pleasure. Thank you. Now, you were recently talking at the Bellwood Symposium on Addiction. Mm -hmm. Now, the people you were talking to, is this news to them, or are they very aware of the relationship between substance and process addiction and attention deficit hyperactive disorder? Yeah, the title of that conference was The Many Faces of uh, Addictions, and ADHD is one of them. I think the truth is in the middle. I think some of the counselors and uh, workers and so forth, they had some knowledge, but for many people it was pretty much new news, despite the fact that up to 50% of adults with ADHD will be struggling with addiction. 
Wow, yeah, I was looking at some older studies. In 2001, they were studying boys, and, and you deal with uh, adults, and most of the uh, science has been done, or the study has been on, especially kids, but especially boys, right? right. But in uh, 2001, uh, they found that 51%, and this is under 16, had uh, smoked cigarettes, 51% had been drinking by that age, and 20% out of control. Right. Is this a type of self-medicating yeah. for ADHD? Yeah, I think that's very apt. So we know that the neurotransmitter that's implicated in ADHD is dopamine. Mm -hmm. Dopamine is a, a neurotransmitter that's also recognized to be impacted uh, by addictions. So the neurobiology, the brain structures of addictions and uh, ADHD are quite similar. Uh, I like those statistics. Up to 60% of adolescents with untreated ADHD will become addicted to a mm -hmm. substance, not just a, a, a use or abuse, they will become addicted. Right. So the larger follow-up studies, the MTA study, which followed little kids prospectively for six or seven years, up to 30 or 40 percent of them were already uh, experiencing addictions. Now, let's just fast forward. So you've got 30 people in a treatment center or 60 people in a treatment center. Some of them are ADHD, a higher percentage than the outside population. What particular challenges are people treating alcoholism, addiction, process addiction with patients that are also showing comorbidity, is that what yeah, you call it? Comorbidity. Yeah, yeah. with uh, ADHD, stuff. exactly. Yeah. So when they've got both, yeah. what, you know, like uh, we, we understand distraction and, right. and you know, prone to impulse and, you know, that kind of thing. So, right. so how do you accommodate treating people with ADHD so they have the same chance of success? Right. It's a great question. Because the storyline with ADHD in terms of addictions is that they have an earlier onset of their addiction, sort of pediatric onset. Mm -hmm. They have um, a much faster course and progression in the addiction, uh, many more relapses, and their, abil their ability to adhere to a treatment program is much more problematic, and that's because of core symptoms of ADHD, forgetfulness, distractibility, procrastination, being disorganized, poor time management. So if somebody gets out of a rehab, a uh, 28-day program, whatever, and they're expected to do 90 meetings in 90 days, and they're forgetful, disorganized, and a procrastinator, that's a big, big issue. Just getting there on time. Just getting there on time. Yeah, and people will judge. They'll say, if this was important to you, you wouldn't be late. You know the time. Sure. It's just like when they're little kids, you can't be late for class. But the invisible symptoms of ADHD will really impact the addiction treatment. Yeah, it is a, an invisible handicap or, or challenge. Yes. And you have shame associated with addiction. Right. Add the shame to not fitting into the rigid autocratic society that we've devised for ourselves. Right. People with ADHD feel different from the get-go. Uh, and then when they disappoint people, they have so many thousands and thousands of misfires up to the age of, say, 25, 26. So low self-esteem, lots of shame, very self-critical, lots of automatic negative thinking. So this is why cognitive behavioral therapy has become right. evidence-based with ADHD, mindfulness as well, so they can stop that criticism. The diagnosis of ADHD is not an excuse, but it is an explanation for what's been happening to them. Right, it's not a crutch. It's not a crutch, no crutches. Right. You look at a few things when it comes to treatment I see in your book. There's mm -hmm. medicine, 
uh, accommodation, changing your environment, and, and mindfulness, yeah. and, and of course, education, just being aware of these things. Uh, I remember a, a story in the book was about using a little beeper or something to indicate you have an appointment, even if you tell someone, I'll, I'll, I'll come talk to you in three minutes. Right. You know, someone with ADHD is going to get back to that conversation they were in, right. and two hours later they're going, oh my God, I left so-and-so waiting yeah. for me. Yeah, well, I had a student recently who was in the co-op of one university. She belonged to another one, and she was reading this very interesting book and then recognized that uh, she had to be in the exam two hours before at her own university and time. It just, time is very amorphous with ADHD. But the problem with it is that we judge people on, on their sense of time. So you've come early for the interview, I'm impressed. You come 15 minutes late for the interview, whatever. And already we're kind of wondering about this person. We call these critical moments mm -hmm. in the book so that part of the understanding of that person's version of ADHD is to recognize where the symptoms come and go, where they're playing a role in that person's life, and to catch those, uh, catch those moments instead of just being stuck in a cycle. And when it comes to medication, are you going to treat uh, someone who is a known substance abuser differently than someone who is not? Uh, how many of the medications for ADHD are, are stimulants would be mood-altering in some way? There are five Health Canada-approved long-acting medications for adult ADHD. They're the same medicines we use with kids and adolescents. But if somebody has been actively abusing whatever kind of drug, so uh, the rate of ADHD in people who have opiate dependence is up to 22%, cocaine 33%, 70% drink, 70% smoke. So it's really clearing um, the prefrontal cortex, if you will, give them time to uh, clear their brain of the drugs and the alcohol. And that gives us, as clinicians, time to get to know the person better. So let's say they've been abusing cocaine. So maybe six, uh, six weeks, a minimum, maybe to three months. And once you have a better handle on baseline, you could safely treat with the long-acting stimulants as long as they're monitored. Uh, if you're really not sure about that person's ability to stick with a the plan, then you can use a non-stimulant, uh, atomoxetine or stratera. It doesn't work as well as the long-acting stimulants, but it's uh, safe in terms of non-abusability. And once you have a good handle on that person and their, their style and so forth, then they can be switched over to a, a much more effective medication, which are the long-acting stimulants. Another hurdle especially with people if they're indoctrinated in a 12-step culture, which is largely full abstinence. I mean, they smoke like chimneys, they drink more coffee than is healthy for anybody. And the literature makes it clear, get a second opinion if you want, but we're not doctors, we're peer-to-peer. -peer. But there's often pressure, people even on Suboxone or uh, methadone. methadone, right? They get a hard time if they have come to celebrate their one year well, he's not clean, he's on methadone. And even alcoholics sometimes become pill adverse. They're afraid, they're addicted to cake, you know, they're addicted to TV, they're addicted to their cell phone. They're going to be cautious when you say, well, take this, it'll help. Right. I think that's very apt. I think one of the things that helps is to recognize that ADHD is a brain-based condition. Mm -hmm. 
this word comorbidity just means other conditions can come along with it. So up to 38% can have a mood problem. Up to 47% can have a significant anxiety disorder. Howie Mandel did a forward for us mm -hmm. in the book. He has ADHD, but yeah. he has quite severe obsessive compulsive disorder as right. well. So to just say we're only going to treat your ADHD and ignore mood, anxiety, and so forth, that's not even a good practice of general medicine because people come through the door, they're complicated, they can have shortness of breath, it could be bronchitis, asthma, uh, pneumonia, and you're not just going to isolate one condition and say, okay, we're going to treat this and sort of ignore that other stuff. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. The, the doctors don't operate that way. Uh, now, in terms of accommodating treatment, one of the things that sort of changed my mind a little bit, I noticed in the what are, you, what are we going to do about it, there's a lot of list making, there's a lot of record keeping, and uh, a lot of the old peer-to-peer self-help 12-step project involves making a lot of lists, inventory taking, lists of people we'd harmed. And 12 steps sounds like way too much for anyone with ADHD. Yeah. It's a matter of where's my pen, where's my pad? I wrote it down, I can't find it. Uh, I put it on the computer, I lost it on the subway. I mean, th these are the types of things I suppose we have to accommodate in dealing with ADHD. Yes, this is why mindfulness is such an important... Mm. It's not... Uh, you know, if, if I can say this, it's not one day at a time, it's one moment at a time. Right. It's moment to moment. And where am I in terms of my day, what I needed to be doing, have I reminded myself of the things I need to do, all of that. That kind of self-observation is really important for people because otherwise they miss these critical moments, fall into old habits. So we also talk about getting new habits. And I mean, it's not brain surgery, but for some person who's now 25 or 30 and they've never developed habits, they've never st had to study at school, they're chronically late for things, the moment-to-moment -moment thing I think is very, very powerful. And ADHD coaching can also help people like this. Right, because it, you are going to be your own worst enemy in terms of being self-critical yeah. and having someone to sort of coach you through, say, well, forget about doing it perfectly. Are we making progress? That's got to help, right? Yeah. It's just all progress. Process. The core symptoms of ADHD that can really interface with people struggling with addictions would include things like boredom, people mm -hmm. use when they're bored, uh, being really impulsive. So one of the core symptoms of ADHD, there's hyperactivity, distractibility, but impulsivity. So right. binging on stuff, alcohol, mm -hmm. drugs, food. Food's an important one because with women with ADHD, you see a higher than average incidence of bulimia nervosa. Irritability can be a part of ADHD. And drugs like cannabis, for example, lower that. Right. And so people get, uh, you know, they, they find that that's a useful thing. Uh, people with ADHD have a chronic problem of falling asleep. Mm -hmm. and, and so cannabis, again, is a good example of the drug that they so start to self-medicate with to help them fall asleep. So there's some uh, symptoms of ADHD that is sort of a tipping point in terms of starting to abuse substances. Right. Uh, now let's uh, look at the acronym. Fast Minds. Forgetful. Achieving below potential, stuck in a rut, time challenged, motivationally challenged, impulsive, novelty seeking, distractible, scattered. Someone with those characteristics doing 12 of anything or 90 and 90. How are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? Right. Especially uh, novelty seeking, yes. uh, distractibility, impulsive. These are the things that get us into trouble in the first place. Right. 
And I would think that a lot of comorbidity suffering addicts and alcoholics are likely to just you know, sort of replace one addiction with another. Maybe a more positive one, like working out at the gym or workaholism or something like that. But it might be hard for them to realistically think they'll ever live a life of total moderation. Right. You're right about the addictions kind of rotate through. So it could be a sexual addiction. It could be gambling, which is overrepresented in the adult ADHD. But anything that drives up adrenaline or noradrenaline in that person's brain is going to help them at that time engage. So you're running a marathon, you're gambling in Vegas, drinking a bunch of alcohol, doing cocaine, all of those things are driving up dopamine, which is like adrenaline in the brain. So people get attracted to novelty seeking. The physicians that I see often are ER physicians, some surgeons. We have paramedics, we have police officers who love the chase. Yeah. Where they struggle contextually is the paperwork, the tedious, boring right. thing. So I don't have accountants or bookkeepers. I don't have anybody <laughs> sort of attracted to that sort of thing. So that's where the novelty-seeking thing comes in. And in that context, you'd say, gee, this, this guy's really, he's good. But in a different context, on the home front where there's no structure, you know, I recently saw a firefighter. If you see him driving the truck, he's very dialed in. But on the home front, there's all kinds of disorganization and unfinished projects, and he doesn't, can't do the bills. Where the adrenaline levels are low, that's where this can catch you. I mean, my first uh, book I ever read was uh, uh, Gabor Maté's uh, Scattered Minds. He, he was diagnosed as ADHD from the same doctor that recognized it in his children. Right. And uh, there was a CBC uh, special I heard. I don't remember the name of the comedian. But he talked about how he always wanted to write a screenplay, and he was mad at himself for not doing that. But he'd done over a thousand skits. Right. He's better at that sort of uh, very quick... Short bursts. Exactly. Yeah. And he said even things like uh, he dries too fast, but it's possible that people with ADHD are paying better attention yeah. uh, when they're driving 120 than they are five miles an hour under the speed yeah, limit. Yeah, because they're more engaged if there's a bit of adrenaline. Yeah. If you're going over the speed limit, I have to judge things. Uh, whereas if, if they have to go more slowly, summer traffic and all of that, then their, their focus is, is um, more impaired. It's, a, it's an interesting point, uh, Joe. People don't come to see me because they want a diagnosis of ADHD. Mm-hmm. People come to see me because they saw uh, Rick Green or they saw uh, right. they, their partner has picked up Fast Minds, <laughs> something, and said, look, man, I think you may have this. They'll come in and say, look, uh, I don't know if I have it. Maybe it's a mood problem. Maybe it's uh, anxiety. Maybe it's an addiction. But if I have ADHD, plus or minus whatever else, I want to get help. Mm -hmm. So they're not coming in saying, I want Ritalin. Because for us, Ritalin is a street drug. It's an abusable, short-acting agent that we never prescribe. It doesn't work really well, but for people who are prone to addiction, you'd never use it. So people will say, "If if I need help, and I have a couple of areas in my life where this is impacting me. So you, you have to have two areas that have been significantly impacted. You have to have a childhood onset. You have to have full threshold symptoms. But they'll say, if I fit the bill, then I do want to know what my options are for treatment. Right. And how likely, if someone's listening to this show or someone they know, they want to do an intervention, I think you have ADHD, yeah. how likely is their family doctor 
going to be familiar with ADHD or do you really need a specialist, like you say, uh, a coach? Yeah. Well, I think it's getting better. The recognition of ADHD at the level of the family practice is getting much better. And it's because many of us have spent a lot of time helping family doctors better recognize it, which is where this acronym comes from. Like, ask the fast minds questions as opposed to DSM, which is four pages of stuff and it's nobody they have five to ten minutes to figure things out for example I spoke with a a family doctor yesterday and I suggested this medication and that as a backup he said yeah sure he knew one helped me with that one and then we talked at length about other social issues that were impacting on on this person the truth is in the middle it's a common condition it's it's about five percent of the adult population which is more than bipolar and schizophrenia added together wow and the uh, the real kicker here is that only one in ten adults will ever get uh, an assessment and treatment. Right. So the majority of people with adult ADHD are out there on their own, and they no longer have parents and uh, teachers looking after them. They're out there. They've got to juggle all of the the cognitive balls that are important, and that's why that's part of the why treat of adult ADHD. Caffeine, good or bad? Caffeine's good. It's a stimulant. So uh, caffeine's a stimulant, Ritalin's a stimulant, nicotine's a stimulant, cocaine is a stimulant. So on the stimulant uh, spectrum, it's a weak one. I mean, you have to drink gallons of Starbucks to sort of treat your ADHD (laughs) and you spend half the time in the bathroom. But I'm more concerned about uh, cigarette smoking. Yeah. It's part of the why treat of this because if up to 70% are addicted to cigarettes, You're going to die uh, yeah, uh, it'll kill you before the alcohol. So the stimulants, you know, they've looked at other studies to see if there's sort of homeopathic things that could work with ADHD. And they're really, to be fair, I think haven't been enough really sort of gold standard trials where mm-hmm. you clearly say, you know, that St. John's uh, wort is, is helpful. In fact, it, it, it was put in a study and didn't pan out. So we're still we're still looking at other treatments, pharmacologic treatments for adult ADHD. Now you've been involved in studies. What studies still need to be done? What is sort of the next phase in learning how to help people with ADHD? That's a great question, Joe, because at the outset you said most of the studies have been done on little boys. Yeah. Actually it's little Caucasian boys. Right. I mean the best studies is little boys, Bart Simpson. So I think we need to, it's an image. Most people, if you have, I say to, we've got 100 people on the street, what do you think about ADHD? They're thinking about Bart Simpson. So females are often missed. Uh, I did a film on women with ADHD because yeah. uh, it's up to 50% of people that I see are female. Well, she's not fitting that stereotypic uh, image. Uh, and also, uh, drug studies have not been done mm-hmm. on large cohorts of women. Multicultural studies, right. other ethnicities and so forth, all of those studies have not been done. On a hopeful note, though, of the five Health Canada-approved medications that I've mentioned, the best ones, although the delivery systems are new, pro-drug and uh, so forth, they are still old molecules. Methylphenidate, old <laughs> Ritalin, they just take the substance and then they find a, a better delivery system, relatively non-abusable, only take one pill a day. But we know a lot about the active ingredients, methylphenidate, dextroamphetamine. Uh, so we're over 250 double-blind placebo-controlled trials with those medications. So we're on safe territory. So although they're new, yeah. they're actually not new molecules. They're new delivery right. systems. Right. So we know a lot about these drugs. A lot of other medical uh, drugs have come and gone, and these medicines have been around state. 
I would say that anyone in the community of addiction recovery should read the book, not because they're necessarily ADHD, mm -hmm. but if you're going to be working with people, if you're going to be helping people, if you're going to be sponsoring people through recovery, right. you need to deal with your own biases and, um, I mean, it's going to be a difficult chore to help someone who presents with ADHD, right? Yeah, if they're impulsive, distractible, get off track. Hoarders. Uh, hoarders, yeah. yes, overrepresented in people who hoard. We're all guilty of operating in our own little silos. Mm -hmm. And that's not, I'm not speaking about people who worked in the substance area, but uh, other general psychiatrists, people are mood experts and anxiety experts. And, so when people say, oh, you, you, uh, you assess for adult ADHD, no, I assess for adult ADHD and everything that comes through the door with it. I often say to people that see me, because sometimes they feel bad about the fact that they've been in some rehab and lost their job or whatever, and I say, look, if you come through my door and you're not prone to addictions, I'm sort of disappointed in a way, because <laughs> it's so common, yeah. and it kind of normalizes it. And yeah. I'm also hunting for mood problems and learning disabilities. Uh, Trudy Styler is married to Sting. She has ADHD, never picked up, uh, and she's also dyslexic. So right. we look for 40% of kids with ADHD have learning disabilities. So there are a whole host of other conditions that we're always hunting for. You can collect these things like uh, scout badges. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all aspects of medicine are sort of the same. People are complicated. Yeah. And so we see people three times. We don't do one of these 20-minute interviews and then somebody's walking out the door with a prescription for medication. I often say my job is more to get to know the, get to know the person with ADHD as opposed to simply a rubber stamp and saying, well, try some medicine, and if it works, then you must have it. Mm -hmm. uh, because that is not true. The stimulants generally, including uh, coffee, caffeine, all of us will benefit from that. Right. So does this say, oh, he responded to this Health Canada approved drug, so I must have it? That's not true. Right. Um, that's true of asthma. If somebody's got short of breath and he's got asthma, you give him Ventolin. Mm -hmm. That's a priori he has asthma. But um, so performance enhancement, medicines have been used that way and so forth. So you have to be very careful about who you're treating and their unique constellation of, of, of challenges. Now, your book, I assume it can be, you can get it from Amazon, you can get it from, order it from any bookstore. Yep. There's an ebook version available uh, as well? Yes, no? Not, uh, yes, there is actually, there's an ebook, but, uh, but we want an audio book. Uh, oh, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I, th I really think we, we discussed with the publisher that we really want an audio book, and a lot, there's been a lot of interest in that. Yeah. So we're working on that. It's been translated now, we, the rights have been uh, bought by uh, a Tokyo publisher so it's going to be published in, in Japanese as well so and people can follow you on Twitter can't yeah, say that about yeah. every doctor no no we're on Twitter and um, and uh, I blog for Huff Post and things so um, we're actually planning to come out with some mini blogs that I think are going to gear toward some uh, unique aspects of ADHD that people don't generally think about so it's not all medication it's not uh, just knowing uh, you know that you've got this I think um, from an integrative kind of perspective uh, there's a lot of work that we can still do and offer people I was at a, a recent uh, meeting in New York and there were people there from the UK and Sweden and uh, so forth the adult ADHD they're just getting on to mm -hmm. the diagnosis in Europe yeah and so although we, we have lots of work to do here, we're, we're pretty far ahead compared to some countries uh, globally. 
Great. And uh, you have an online presence as well. So yes, people yes. can find you online. Yep. Uh, Dr. Bilkey's channel, YouTube, and so forth. Yeah, yeah so. beautiful. Well, thanks for taking the time. I, I know this is going to be useful to the people who follow our uh, broadcast. You've been very generous with your time. Thank no, you very thanks. much. Thanks for having me. Great you pleasure. Bet. Radio handshake. Hey. How was that? Informative? If you're in the 12-step community, you may or may not suffer from ADHD, but you're going to encounter more than your fair share of people who do in the rooms. Fast Minds is written in plain language. It uses anecdotal case histories. It has practical ideas that I found help me deal more consciously and less reactively to whatever Fast Mind symptoms I live with. Again, the videos are ADHD across the lifespan and her Fast Mind, an in-depth look at ADHD as it affects women. Okay, now let's ride shotgun with Paul Nelson. He also talked to IndyCan Radio, and you can find more on episode 393 at IndyCan.com to hear Paul talk about the movie Johnny Winter Down and Dirty or the new record Step Back which was posthumously released September 2nd, 2014. We will be sharing one song from the new recording later in this show. Johnny and Edgar Winner are Texas albino brothers. They played music together as teenagers. They continue to play together. Edgar Winner at the Montreal Forum was my first ever big-name concert in 1974. The album They Only Come Out at Night was on the charts. Songs like... Free Ride and Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo were big then. Johnny Winter went from blues to rock and his career took off. He made a positive impression with the Woodstock crowd in 1969. Later in his career, he returned to blues, which, while it didn't pay as well as rock and roll, was Johnny's true love. Johnny Winter was already on heroin when the Jays were dying. Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix... Johnny thought he was next, and he checked into rehab. We'll let Paul tell you the rest of the story. Here we go. Hi, this is Paul Nelson. You're listening to Indie Can Radio. Thanks for being with me, Paul. Here we are going from the uh, YYZ airport to the uh, Royal Cinema to see the Canadian premiere of Johnny Winter, Down and Dirty. Yes, it it not, must be bittersweet. <laughs> it is very bittersweet. Uh, as you know, Johnny passed. It was it was sudden, but I will say, you know, a lot of people want to know what exactly happened. The one thing that couldn't be fixed, that I couldn't fix on him, was uh, his lungs. He smoked too long and too hard, and uh, I think the official, unofficial reading will be that the emphysema got him. Yeah. Well, we were in Austria and played some shows, but he caught a cold the last day, and it just kicked in that's what got him we, we had people look at him but it was just too too much but he he fell asleep and that was the that was actually the way he wanted to have it which he, is he, he died which a lot of us want to do yeah exactly at 15 years old on he wanted to be a musician yep. and make a living doing it and he died doing what he loved i right? mean everybody's heard that bb wanted to do that uh, go out that way uh, on the tour bus and they yeah. in their boots or yeah, yeah you know 
he does have a wife and would have liked to have been home with her. Oh, but at the sure. same time, yeah, at the same time, that's, you know, that's the musician way. His wife and his brother and a lot of other people I've spoken with were like, okay, I got to say this. He did leave on a very high note. Yeah. You know, had this happened uh, back in the day, and that's kind of what the movie's about, that the shape he was in in the 90s, uh, his popularity was, was low because he wasn't part of all this retroism of all these great uh, classic artists like Dylan and, and uh, uh, Clapton and all these that, that you hear of now that influence new musicians. I, I want to talk about your role with getting them off methadone, but let's go back uh, to uh, the 70s uh, or the late 60s, the early 70s. He's on heroin. He Before knows, I was born. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he knows it's a problem. Uh, all of the J's were going, right? Jim Morrison, Jimi uh, Hendrix, Janis Joplin. And he, he thought the Grim Reaper had his number, but he got through that. He dodged the bullet there, didn't he? Okay, when I met Johnny and then was asked to help him out with his career by him, I had to go to Johnny Winter school. Yeah. I mean, I knew about Johnny because I was a guitar player and I emulated his playing and I had, you know, his CDs and his music. Back in those days, during the Still Alive and Well, mm -hmm. he checked himself in. Yeah. And that's what happened. So there was a time where he tried to clean up, yeah. but he switched from, and he was very open about this, mm -hmm. he switched from heroin to methadone. Yeah. And that stuff is the, the silent killer or the not not killer but the the silent drug that just uh, debilitates people and that's a lot that, of that was in him on it forever yes, yes. and you, you come into the picture and he's uh, well i describe him as a zombie like you said yep. cream corn like yeah, 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 the, the, his vegetable. drummer said yeah it, it yeah. was it, and we were open about that i'm like he doesn't even remember what was going on in those days and we describe him and he cracks up i'm like johnny in the movie you know i say he literally fell asleep in his mashed potatoes. Yeah. He lit a, a, a cigarette when he was smoking. His hat went on fire. Yeah. And stayed on fire. They get zombie-like. Yeah. I don't want to condemn methadone. Yeah. I'm trying to find the good things about it. I mean, it, at least it keeps you from getting back to heroin, but it's got to go after a while. I'm not a physician, but I've dealt with a lot of physicians in what I did. Yeah. And that ended up being unknowingly something called tapering yes that's right you were shaving the pills anyone else it'd be like a right. five milligram reduction right you sort of intuitively knew that was the way to go right and i had to keep it quiet i only let his wife know and then some doctors so that you know it, it was a good situation because we're on the road for 14 hours mm -hmm. a day uh, we're out there for two weeks. So whenever there was a change in medication or whatever, I could monitor him so closely. Mm -hmm. He was in, in an earshot. I mean, so if there was anything wrong, it's an immediate phone call or immediate rush to here or wherever. So that's, that's what helped. But at the same time, I couldn't let anyone know because if it got back to him, his mind would kick in about the fact that it was being taken away, and then the mind tells the body withdrawals. He had no withdrawals. Right. That was the thing. What we do see in the movie is uh, his OCD, his obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. Right. Uh, did that uh, gradually come to be, or had he lived with that all his life? The OCD 
is maximized when the drugs go away, mm-hmm. but it was inherent from early childhood. Right. That's what they okay. say. Right, yeah. So it was the doctor's job to find out the root of what caused this. Mm-hmm. But it, I felt that it was my job to hand a doctor, a person that is completely drained and emptied out of all the bad stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know, he was a child of the 60s. He, <laughs> he went nuts. Yeah. You know, he, he he's responsible in a in a large way because he was a rock star and gimme, 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 and yeah. I want this, and, you know, nobody says no to him. But at the same time, the old management shouldn't have played into that. Yeah. And they they created this this monster. But, yeah, the OCD was severe. Yeah. But they said it gets even worse before it goes away. Uh, and there is a very high, what they call, comorbidity between any type of sort of mental health thing, whether it's ADHD, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and drug addiction, because we're self-medicating, right? Right. The the drugs actually reduce the symptoms of uh, the uh, uh, mental issue, right? But it was the OCD that I used to make him stop things that were bad for him. Him getting addicted to heroin was as addicted as he would get to a vanilla milkshake at 2 o'clock every day for a year and a half. It was just a pattern, a routine. Mm -hmm. So if you can instill good things instead of the bad, they become as obsessive, but at least you have a healthy guy to then work on. It's a lot easier to work on somebody that's not on all this crap versus somebody that's an alcoholic, a drug addict, uh, smoking. Yeah. You know, all the bad things. And there's the OCD to its benefit. Right. By getting into a recovery. Right. And there's a lot of kicking and complaining. Why should I stop this? Why should I stop this? But then you show results and you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, okay, we'll see. Now, do you feel better? He was doing interviews. He was doing special appearances. He was doing in stores. He was was going bowling. Yeah. He got (laughs) three strikes and a spare six months ago. So there was a lot. You know, when he asked me to start, I I had a, a plan. And it covered everything from his health to his finances to uh, to the band to the music to the labels. There was a great relationship. It was like he was my dad. It was like I was his father. There's a lot of uh, things going on there that that uh, the doctors analyzed as to why he's <laughs> like that. You know, yeah. he, he was a great guy. We had to go to family counseling. Mm-hmm. We all went. Mm-hmm. The band, yeah, myself, and as the stuff left his body, the all these impurities. Yeah. The real, not the OCD came out, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. but the playing got better. Yeah. The, the singing got better. And you the guy got better. younger and younger. He got, if you look at the movie, he, get, yeah. he gets younger during the course of three years. If you look at the album, Step Back, the one that just came out, yeah. cover, mm-hmm. and the cover from Roots, 2011, He's younger in the newer record. Yeah, wow. Which is, and, and you know, you don't think about it, but I'm looking at, you know, they just happen to be sitting on the table. I'm looking at, oh my God, what's the matter? Yeah, that's right. You're, you're <laughs> and that's no touch-ups, no. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, yeah. just uh, good living. Yeah. Pick a song off of the new album. Tell me why. I love Who Do You Love because mm-hmm. I think it's Johnny at his best recently. Yeah. The best slide playing he's done in years. The vocals are strong. And I like the fact that the groove, when you say Bo Diddley, 
it's not dun 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 uh, dun dun. That's not the original Bo Diddley. Right, that's right. Yeah. We did the songs the real way. We did Unchain My Heart the real way with right. the real riffs. Yeah. And that's what Johnny believed in. But this is a true uh, indication of, of how, how we went back and studied this stuff. And it, it, he, he's just phenomenal. I love it. This is my memory of him. Beauty. Yeah. And what's the tuning if people want to play along at home? Uh, it's an open slide tuning. Yeah. They would tune to a, a major chord. You could hear it when okay. you strum it. So it's an open D tuning. Open for D. those of you that don't know, you'll you'll never yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Okay, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, enjoy the uh, Canadian premiere tonight. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Record is red. Said, hurry, hurry. But what do you love is dead. Got a letter this morning. How do you reckon it red? Said, hurry, hurry. What do you love is dead. Backed up my suitcase and I took off all down the road. When I got there, she was. Laying on the cooling board and I locked up my suitcase And I took off down the road When I got there She laid on the cooling board Walked up right close Looked down her face She's a good old gal She's gonna lay it up just the day I walked up right close Look out on her face. She's a good old girl, but later it's just the day. Looked like 10,000 standing around the burying ground. I didn't know I loved her till they let her down. Looked like 10,000 standing around the burying ground. They get a letter down Fold my arms and I, and I walked away She's a good old girl I see you just the day Fold my arms Oh yeah, I walked away She's a good old girl I'll see you just the day So bad till the good old sun went down. I didn't have a soul to throw my arms around. I didn't feel so bad till the good old sun went down. I didn't have a soul to throw my arms around. Plain. Hush, 
Feel free to repost, share, or download this or any Rebellion Dogs Radio show that you like. The support for indie radio is appreciated. Visit us at rebelliondogspublishing.com for blogs, radio shows, notes, book reviews, and commentaries or links to either Dr. Bilkey, who shared about ADHD, or the Johnny Winter website, where, as I said, you can peruse music and see what's new with the documentary, Johnny Winter, Down and Dirty. Thanks to both Tim and Paul for being generous with their time and insights. Keep it real, one day at a time. Until next time, bye for now.